Lovely. The reading this evening is from Matthew, chapter 23, and we're starting at verse 1. We're reading the whole chapter, and then we're doing the first two verses of chapter 24. I'll give you a second to get that up. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, You make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. 
Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous, from the blood of, from the blood of righteous Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachiah, whom you murdered because the temple and the altar, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth: all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. This is the word of the Lord. So let's uh, pray before we think about this subject of religious hypocrisy. Heavenly Father, please uh, help us to understand uh, the words of this uh, rather long and slightly difficult passage and may it help us to live better for you and to know you better. Amen. So hypocrisy is sort of in the news at the moment, the last couple of days. If you've not uh, seen the news, then you'll know. Well, if you've seen it, you'll know. And if you haven't, then you ought to know that, you know, a government minister has resigned, having been very hypocritical, telling us what to do in the pandemic, and then completely doing the opposite himself. And before that, you know, several government advisors doing the same, telling us we must behave in a certain way. And then we find that they do completely the opposite. That's hypocrisy, isn't it? And of course, sometimes people that we know, I guess perhaps if you're at school or college or at work, there are people you know that actually you begin to discover they're not really quite what they first seem to be. I mean, there are some extreme examples of how that can happen. Um, in, uh, fortunately, very rarely, but very occasionally in the past, someone would be discovered who was working as a doctor or as a surgeon who turned out to be a complete fraud because they didn't have any medical qualifications at all. They weren't at all what they seemed to be. And as we think about the Christian world, the church world, there, of course, there are sadly pro- examples of prominent Christian leaders and speakers who also have lived a double life. It's all too easy to pretend to be um, something to be different to what we're really like. So we're going to be looking this evening at Matthew um, 23, where Jesus as we heard, pronounces these woes on the uh, teachers of the law and the Pharisees or the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's easy for us to think of them, you know, we might think they're the baddies, but actually, you know, they were respectable religious leaders. They were people um, that people looked up to. But as we'll see, or as we've seen, many of them were not um, all that they appear to be or all that they seem to be. Now, it's possible for us to read this section and to think, you know, they were pretty stupid, weren't they? They were pretty ridiculously hypocritical, they were. And then we might um, think about who we might like to put into the same uh, category today. 
the danger is that we can become hypocritical ourselves. Um, and so we also, we're going to think a little bit about how it might apply to, to us, to you and to me. Um, most of this chapter is taken up with these seven woes. Um, so Jesus is calling out their wrong ways. He's pointing out uh, where they've gone wrong. But I think we'll understand, I think we misunderstand the whole chapter if we think, if we don't first of all look at verse 37. Verse 37, uh, because it would be easy for us to get the wrong idea about Jesus. But this verse tells us where his heart where his longing really lies, because he doesn't want to have to criticize. Um, he doesn't, that's not what he wants to do. Rather, we see that Jesus always reaches out. So, as you can see there on the screen, this is what he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. If you think about it, you might say, actually, you know, imagine Jesus saying this in Jerusalem at that time. Who, who actually can say something like this? You know, it's a bit, perhaps slightly presumptuous to say words like that. You know, who does Jesus actually think he is? Um, he's not, but he's not speaking as any old person, not even as an important uh, teacher, but... As he says this, it's reflecting his divine nature as the Son of God. And he's expressing, he's expressing there his longing for, to bring people under his care and his protection. That's what he wants to do. He wants people to come under his care and protection. And that's despite all that they've done. All of these people who, who are against him, many of them, all that they've done, he still uh, invites and he calls. But there, right at the end, it said, but you were not willing it's, one, it's just one verse in this long chapter, but I think it's central to our understanding of the Lord Jesus because he does that. He calls us, he invites us with arms outstretched, he longs to care for us. Of course, sadly then, as is the case today, the call of Jesus, Jesus reaching out and inviting people to come to him is often met not with people, not with us running to him and his, project, and his protection, but rather... Um, a rejection of him. So we're going to just think just for a few minutes about the fact that Jesus was rejected. So he was rejected by lots of people then, just as he is today. And this, <clears throat> these, the chapters in Matthew's Gospel just before it that we've been looking at on previous Sundays um, have included three parables. And those parables have pointed to um, a rejection and the consequences and of course, that theme carries on through Matthew's Gospel in the next couple of chapters that we're going to be looking at in the next week or two. And it culminates in chapter 26, when Jesus himself is betrayed and arrested and falsely accused and beaten and then killed, all just as had been predicted. So let's just quickly have a look at what Jesus had to say to some of these uh, religious leaders who had rejected him. What was the sum of the description of them that he uses in, in these woes? So the people rejecting, as I said, the people rejecting Jesus, they actually appear to be very respectable people. They're leaders in the community. They're good people. They're able teachers. They're the religious leaders. But we'll see, you see in Matthew's Gospel, that by chapter 26, these very people, 
these very leaders, they're persuading the crowds of ordinary people, and the ordinary people who had been loving Jesus and following him, but they persuade them to reject Jesus and to call for his execution. They've, as the leaders, they've rejected Jesus, and they ensure that the ordinary people do so as well. It's very easy for leaders to lead people astray. You notice uh, right at the start of that chapter, even before the woes, that um, Jesus didn't criticize their teaching, because actually what they were teaching was right. They were teaching the Bible, the scriptures, the writings of Moses. What they were teaching was God's truth, and people should listen and should obey. But as we had in our, our little game, you know, Jesus said, don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. In fact, when you read the chapter, you realize that they were really concerned about image. That was what they were really concerned about. So, for example, the disciples right at the end there talk about, comment about how fantastic the, the building, the temple is. And, you know, they were very, those leaders were very proud of these wonderful buildings. And they also, uh, it mattered to them that they had the right possessions, the right appearance, the right clothing. That was all important. Their appearance mattered to them. And it, it just showed how, how religious, how important they were. But of course, it was all image. It was all for show. And Jesus was actually very, was devastating in his assessment of their true character. You know, when he talks about them, just think about what he said. He said that they, you know, they might make a great deal of fuss about they had all this ceremonial stuff where they had to keep the, the cups and the plates and things clean. But he said, well, you might do that, but you lot inside, you're actually filthy dirty. Or just like a burial tomb um, that they used to whitewash, that it looked nice on the outside. He said, well, that whiteness is only superficial, but inside there's still rotting corpses. And Jesus was saying, in effect, you know, you're like that, you people, you're like that. What you look on the outside, the image that you're trying to project of yourself was, in fact, very different to the reality of what um, they were like inside. So hidden behind that outward appearance was an inside that was selfish and hostile. One of the other things that Jesus says there were that they were, that they were very strict in some of their rule keeping. You know, they even they even were very particular about you know the, 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 they gave a tenth or a tithe of all their various things as part of their religious offering. They even included their herbs, you know, their spices, the little the little bit of mint and so on. Make sure we give a tenth of that to God. And Jesus says, "Fine, it's okay to do that, but actually, you're ignoring, you're neglecting much more important issues, things like justice and mercy." and faithfulness. And then Jesus has this great picture, doesn't he, of what it's like. He says it's like you're, you're about to eat your soup and you've got a strainer there and you're straining all the soup through the strainer to make sure no tiny little fly gets into your soup. And while you're so busy doing that, a camel climbs into your soup bowl and then you eat it and you eat the camel with it. You know, completely nonsense. That's what they were like, he's saying. And then another thing that Jesus says in that section is that throughout human history, God's followers have been mistreated. And here he says, the people, they were doing exactly the same thing. They might pretend that they um, honored those who'd been martyred in the past, but actually they were carrying on in exactly the same way themselves. So 
Jesus had longed for them to come and follow him and come under his care. They persistently refused to do so. They rejected him. And so the result is judgment. Judgment is the result. Judgment is a recurring theme in these chapters in Matthew. It's, and again, it's not what Jesus wants. He doesn't want to have to judge. He longs for people to come to him, to respond to his call, to come to him. But the theme of judgment is here as well. It's there in verses 38 and 39. Look, your house is left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We can see there that for those who keep rejecting Jesus' call, the result is one day being left desolate and no longer able to respond to Jesus. One day, it was going to be too late for them. And also, right at the end, in the, in the second verse of chapter 24, we see that um, their whole system of temple worship was soon to come to an awful end in AD 70 when the Romans came in and just destroyed the temple. Judgment was coming. So, this chapter, we've seen uh, that the chapter shows us how Jesus reaches out. That's what Jesus' nature is. The Lord always wanting to reach out, people to come to him. But many people, even religious leaders, reject him. And if that rejection continues, if it continues, eventually it results in judgment. So how are we going to um, think about this? What does it mean for us? So I think there are just sort of three areas that I'd like us to just quickly think about, about what it means for us. So um, in the section, Jesus refers to a long list of martyrs. It's like a sort of A to Z of uh, people who had suffered for following the Lord. And we need to remember that that's a pattern. So that pattern had gone on all through the through the history of humankind up to the time of Jesus. And we need to remember that that's a pattern that has continued throughout history, and it will carry on doing so until the Lord Jesus returns again. It's the experience of many Christian believers around the world today. Um, a few weeks ago, I was chatting with some friends of mine who are back home on holiday in, or staying in England for a little while, but they normally work in a, in a theological college in Nigeria. And uh, they were telling me how over the last decade, life has become so much more difficult and dangerous for many Christians in Nigeria. Because sadly, kidnappings and murders are all too frequent. I mean, sometimes people go to church and after when they come home from church, they're almost ringing their friends to check they're still safe, that they haven't been bombed or shot when they went to church in the morning. It's really dangerous. So we need to be praying for them and for... Christians in many other countries where it's also costly to be a Christian. So, you know, that list of martyrs that there is there is something that continues today. And then, secondly, it's worth just remembering that these woes, these things that Jesus says in this chapter, they were aimed at the scribes and the Pharisees of that time. And we might see some similarities in religious leaders today. We could see it in all sorts of different traditions or types of church. So we might think about the telly or the social media evangelist who portrays um, a false image of him or herself getting rich on donations from followers and sometimes with private lifestyles that um, are quite different to the image that they portray. 
Or we might think about a very traditional church leader who insists on ritual. Now, ritual isn't necessarily wrong, but ritual on its own that doesn't at the same time point to the Lord Jesus is pretty useless. And in fact, in, in any setting or any type of church, it's easy for image, for appearance, to become central, and so missing the whole point of the gospel. But rather than just trying to point the finger at other people or just at other church, at other church leaders or other styles or other types of church, let's just think about us, about ourselves. So do we try to like try to look good? You know, think about how you try to look at school or at college or at work or amongst your friends. Do you try to look good? Does how we look, how we want other people to think about us, does that, does that reflect what we're really like? It's a question for us as a church family, but it's also a question for each of us individually. So do we, do I, do you practice what you preach? Okay, most of, most of us don't stand up here and preach, but we do all, we do all say what we think. We, we say our, give our opinions. We have ideas. We say about stuff. Do we live up to what we say? And then, you know, are we obsessed sometimes with the things that are really, are we obsessed with very minor things and neglect more important matters? And if you are a Christian, then you'll know that your friends who are not Christians, they're very readily wanting to point out any hypocrisy that they see in your life. So, you know, we need to be aware of that. But people would love to point out if we aren't as Christians, if we're Christians, if we're not living out what we say. So just think again, what sort of image of ourselves do we project? Is that what we're really like? If, and if we think about ourselves, if we're aware of some of the not-so-nice things inside, you know, if we think, if we're all honest, and we think about the thoughts that we have, uh, the things that we've done that, if we're honest, we're ashamed about, if we, use, if we use Jesus' picture of being dirty inside, how do, we, how do we clean up? How does that get clean? Jesus calls us to come to him. He calls us, he longs to bring us under his care, just, just as he did there to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So how do, how do we respond? Is it just that we have to try harder? Do we have to sort of work really hard, just cleaning the inside, scrubbing it out? Scrubbing it clean before we can respond to his call? Do we have to get clean first? No. The Bible is very clear that doing the right things will never get us clean. We can never manage to clean up inside properly ourselves because we just can't do it. Transformation comes from looking, from trust, looking to the Lord Jesus, from trusting in him, being changed by him. It isn't cleaning up ourselves or by trying harder. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, which says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because it's the Lord who reaches out, just as we saw at the start, the Lord Jesus reaches out to call people, to call us to himself, and he's the one who, by his Spirit, will gradually change us so that we're more like him. So we don't need to be religious hypocrites. 
but we do need the Lord's help to ensure that we're not. The last couple of um, days, or the last week, I've had a, had a little song buzzing around in my head, um, and it was a song by, from a singer-songwriter, Adrian Snell, written at the end of the last century, which makes it sound really old, and of course, lots of you weren't in existence in the last century, but it isn't really that long ago for oldies like me. So at the end of the 1990s, this guy, Adrian Snell, wrote a song, and it, it just reminds us that the Lord Jesus reaches out to us, and only he can change us, and he's the only one who can clean us up, who can wash us clean. So let me just read a couple of verses from that song. Who's going to mend my broken heart? Who's going to give me a brand new start? And when the rocky road is tough, whose love's going to be enough? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only you, Lord, could wash me, heal me, save me. Who'll be the rock to which I cling? Who's the reason that I sing? When I was blind and dead and lost, who met the price? Who paid the cost? Who reaches out and helps me stand? Who's going to take me by the hand? And when I feel all hope is lost, who lifts me up and leads me on? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only you, Lord, could wash me, heal me, save me. Only Jesus. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the example of the Lord Jesus. We pray that uh, we may not be like some of those people that he was talking to who were very hypocritical, who looked one thing and behaved a completely different way. Help us to be um, people who are gradually transformed and changed by you. And if we've never really quite understood what it is uh, to be changed. We haven't responded to that call of you reaching out to us. Help us to respond and to realize that you're the only one who can wash us clean, who can clean all that mess up inside. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, now we've got an opportunity to answer some of those questions you sent through on Pigeonhole. Um, Philip is kind enough to, to give it a go. It's, very, a, it's, uh, a, it's the worst bit. Late, <laughs> it's the worst bit. Yeah, you're allowed to prepare the, the talk all you want. You can't, you can't prepare for some of these, unfortunately. Um, okay, we'll go straight in with the question with the uh, most votes, which says, Sometimes I feel like the cup, clean on the outside, but full of greed and self-indulgence. I don't often mean it, and it happens to the best of us. How can we deal with this and bring focus back to God? Now, I realize you could probably give a whole 20-minute talk on this. Oh, wow. Maybe wow. just, yeah. I mean, I mean that's true. it's true for all of us, isn't it? We, I, I think if we only, sometimes, I think if we all think about what we're like, we all realize how, you know, how we do wrong things, even when we've been Christians for a long time, how we think wrong thoughts um, and how we're far from perfect. So we're not, we're not perfect yet. Um, uh, and, yeah. We don't, don't mean it. We don't, yeah, it happens to us. How can we do it? I mean, we have to, have to, when we realize that we've done wrong, then we come back to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. And doing that regularly, asking for forgiveness, asking for his help, I think, quickly. That was what I'd say. <laughs> ask for forgiveness, ask for his help. Keep working at it yeah. <laughs> with his help. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, um, next one, I think. 
they're going all over the place. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it's quite helpful. So this one simply says, if we make mistakes and fall into sin, does that make us hypocrites? No, no. I mean, we all, we all, we're all going to, to do wrong. But, you know, so I, I mean, that, that's presupposing because if, if that wasn't the case, then we would never, never sin. And of course, that's not right. We all, we all are going to carry on sinning and doing wrong. Um, we will do that, but we're hopefully doing it less and less um, with God's help. Um, but, but I suppose um, willingly carrying on and doing something, we know something's wrong and we persistently actually quite like to do it and keep doing it and trying to pretend that we don't do it, that's when we're becoming hypocritical. But if we're honest about it... Okay, so that difference between kind yeah. of being honest about it and actually trying to do something about it yeah. rather than... Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, if we're trying to, if we're putting on a picture that we're completely different to what we are, but if we're honest about what we're like, and say with God's help, we're working on it. Brilliant. Um, maybe we've got time for a couple more. Um, so this one says, should we be more honest and open about our sin in evangelism? How do we reconcile this with living a life that looks different day to day? So I guess that kind of balance between recognizing we're sinful but also trying to live distinctly. When we're when we're yeah, when we're when we're talking to our friends, when we're just talking to our friends, I think we need to be you know, we need to be honest and say the struggles, you know, talk about some of the struggles that we have and, and to acknowledge that we're far from perfect ourselves. Um, and say that, you know, with, again, it's the same theme, isn't it, with that God helps, we're, we're trying, to, trying, to, trying to change, but, uh, yeah, not, not to say that we're perfect. I think that's, that's the difference between the sort of hypocritical thing and, and being honest, really. I guess that's the important thing, being, yeah. being honest about it, and hopefully, I guess, the way that we love our lives should be distinctive in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, I think we just about got time for one more. So, We'll go with a nice um, kind of open one, which simply says, how can we avoid becoming hypocrites ourselves? So maybe what do you think the one main thing we could take away is to prevent ourselves from becoming hypocritical? I mean, first of all, ask for God's help. Um, think about, what, uh, think about what, we're, what we're saying. Think about what we're what we're doing. I mean, there's another question here which we're not going to answer, but which goes along the lines of sort of if if Jesus transforms us, are we doing, you know, is there anything that we we do? And of course, that's a slight sort of paradox of Christian belief that that we have to do something. I mean, it it isn't that we just sit back and let God do everything. We have to work at it, but it is God working in us as well. We can't do it on our own. So, yeah, I mean, we have to actively think about our behavior and make sure that we're not being hypocritical, but at the same time, we need to be asking God for his help in that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for letting us just bring a load of questions on you there, Philip.